Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with the always dependable scientist, Dr. Lucy Jones. Thanks to all of you who've been listening to our podcast since we launched earlier this year. If you're enjoying it, I'd like to ask you to leave a review of the podcast on whichever platform you're listening from. It means a lot to know we're of service to you, so please take the time to do that today. And now, let's get to it. Science and facts are flying at us faster than ever before because of our interconnectivity with the internet. We have access to journals and reports that previously were only in the libraries of universities and researchers. While access to this information increases, the way information is presented really hasn't. So you often need specialized knowledge to interpret cutting edge resources. Add to that the issue that you can always find what seems to look like a serious study to support your opinion. And now you have a recipe for disaster. So we cue the entrance music for Dr. Lucy Jones. What's happening out there? Everything you said is going on, too much information for any one person to process. And then we need to add to it an actual rejection of the process of science, people choosing to believe the opinion of some person rather than facts, because they really want whatever to be true. And you're right. With all of this coming together, we could be headed to a real disaster. You're a well-known scientist, but you're still a scientist. But what's interesting is I've heard you say many times that you don't believe in science. Rather, you say you trust in the science process. What do you mean by that? And how does it apply to this impending disaster of misinformation? I think it's important to recognize you know, that scientists don't believe in anything. We have working hypotheses, sometimes supported by so much data, we call them theories. But in all cases, based on data that we act as though they're true, but we always know that they could be proved wrong. That's probably the most fundamental principle of science is that the data is always the foundation of what we're doing. But the reality is, is that I cannot go personally conduct experiments and create the data for every bit of information that I want. We, we all have to depend on others. Again, in the background, always knowing that that could be proved wrong, but we need to act on what's most likely to be true. So we have a system of doing that. That's what peer review in science is all about. It's not perfect. People can be dishonest. You know, scientists are people just like everyone else. Uh, they can be misled, but it's a self-correcting system. The mistakes don't stay around forever because we're always going in and checking and looking for where we're wrong. You know, the best thing would be to have something that's confirmed by multiple studies and reaching the point of consensus science. Again, I can't go and do that level of research for everything. So I will, to some extent, depend upon the institutions. We have the system in place. If it continues to be coming out from our professional societies, from our universities, I trust the institutions to have people that I can trust to do their jobs. And then I use that information, always knowing it could be proved wrong at some point. So if this is what scientists do and the training that you have, what about the non-scientists? We don't have that kind of training about how to look at information the way that you do, per se. Well, all right. When I want to know about something that's not my expertise, I'm not the expert, and I do go looking for expert sources. 
I look for people who I trust to have done their science right and ask what they know. You know, traditionally, the scientists have tended to be off by themselves. They produce information and the larger public believes it because, you know, Caltech said it was true. It must be right. Right. This is a process of trusting the institution sort of implicit. All of those other things I'm talking about and while Caltech says that I can I can believe it. And, you know, for well-established facts, that's not a bad thing to do. Caltech, for instance, has a process where they have ask an expert. They're explaining the type of things that we teach in a college or a graduate class. Enough studies have been done that we are pretty sure that this is fact and not just hypothesis. For ideas and studies that are more cutting edge, that is not yet consensus, I still go to the experts, look at what they've done, but I'm, I can recognize they're human beings, they can have an ax to grind. Until we've reached that consensus point, there's a much larger probability that this study could be proved wrong. I'll listen to it, but you know, with, with some reservations. But I think one of the important things to do when you listen to all this is to make sure that you're asking what does the expert know, not what the expert thinks. Knowing is the stuff that's already gone through the process. Thinking, opinion, that's the research questions that we're working on right now and we've already got our you know, thoughts about it, but it isn't proven. I really do think that our society has become a little too lax about the difference between knowing something and thinking something. It happens in science, it happens in news. News and opinion are not the same thing. Same thing applies in science. So how did we get here? What you're saying seems like a logical approach, yet here we are with multiple sets of facts for the same issue or topic. Let's go back to where you started from on this podcast, which is about the interconnectivity and the internet. When I was going to college, there was no internet. It cost money to get information out. And therefore, there was a process by which people decided if something was likely enough to be true, that it was worth publishing. You had journals, you had editors, all of those were systems to, to make sure that what was being put out, which you spent the money on printing, was likely to be true. The internet has thrown that all up in the air. Any information can get out there along with all of the verifiable ones. And so now everybody is being put in that position of the research experts or the editors trying to analyze for themselves, verifying information for themselves. How should non-experts evaluate information being shared related to earthquakes? And not from you, but just being shared in the news, et cetera. Like they talk about what just happened after one or what could happen next or worse when someone predicts an earthquake. I'll talk about it with earthquakes and it probably applies to any sort of scientific information you're trying to do. So you hear somebody's predicting an earthquake for tomorrow in San Francisco. First, whoever's sharing that information, that's not necessarily relevant. Uh, you really probably shouldn't be starting with that. You need to look at the source of the information. Who is the original producer of this content? If you're seeing that the state of California has issued an advisory of an increased risk in San Francisco, Take that a lot more seriously than somebody, whoever, that you've not heard about. Look at the news source you're getting from. The traditional media is there because they won't publish something unless they can verify that it's true. And again, not perfect, but if it's you know reported in the Los Angeles Times, it's more likely to be true than coming off of, again, a random, a random website. 
look for what information is being put into it. You know, one of the things that the earthquake prediction scammers love to do is say, well, I've got this data, but I can't share it with you because you're going to steal my ideas. That's a big red flag. If you can't see what data or an explanation of where it's coming from, you look for the data, but also beware of sort of pseudo data or the trappings of science. One of the things that's a big red flag for me is they'll say, oh, there's a 97% chance of an earthquake, blah, blah, blah. One thing is it's just too high a number. The specious accuracy, we don't have that level of accuracy on anything. So there's this sort of trappings of science, but also how does it fit into with what you already know? You've been hearing for a long time that the scientists saying we don't have an accurate way of predicting earthquakes. Suddenly somebody comes along with a prediction. Well, the fact that it doesn't fit with your pre-existing set of knowledge is a really important data point. Figure out how it fits in with the other things that we already know. And check out what other experts, people who should be knowing about this are saying. And you'll probably find out we have yet to have a prediction for an earthquake that has proved reliable to anybody beyond what we have of, of earthquake triggering having aftershocks. So the fact that it doesn't fit our pre-existing set of knowledge, always the chance our whole set of pre-existing set of knowledge could be wrong, but probably not. That's a pretty unlikely event to come along. So what do you do when you encounter someone who believes something different than you do with regard to data, science, or facts? This is actually becoming a greater challenge because what even constitutes fact is not necessarily accepted across society anymore. I've actually found what's often effective is ask them about their facts. Why do you think this is true? What's the source of why you got this? Where did the information come from? Why do they believe that it's true? If you start off by rejecting them, I know you're wrong, they're not going to listen to you. But if you try to explore where are the things that you share and why did you get there, not always, but sometimes that can really help get the right discussion going. So we've got a lot of information that is being thrown at us. We could find information to support any of our opinions. But with the information you provided us today, we're able to understand some real techniques to sort of vet the information. Though that many of our listeners may not be scientists, uh, we can pretend and act like one and use those principles to discern whether or not the information is accurate or not. This isn't even pretending, John. This is using critical reasoning. It's pretty straightforward, really, that there's data. It's trying to represent something. And, you know, if the data changes and you have to change your mind, that's okay. I think that's one of the most fundamental things of science. We know we could be proved wrong, and there will be times that we have to change what we think because new facts are there. And it doesn't mean that you're now like some untrustable politician saying whatever his audience wants to hear. It means that you value data. And you know sometimes that means we have to be in that uncomfortable place that acknowledge that we could be wrong, maybe we have been wrong, and figuring out what's actually true is worth a bit of discomfort. Well, as always, we could go on forever, so we'll have to do this again. Until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. 
There you can get extras, insights, and access to the entire world of getting through it. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.